Welcome to Love Notes from a Soul Coach, a podcast where we talk all things healing, what motivates us, what gets in our way, how do we transcend those stuck places and learn to love and accept ourselves more. I'm your host, Mary, and I've crafted each episode around real themes from my private practice and my life with the intention of sharing insight, inspiration, and just keeping each other company along the journey. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dig into today's show. Hello, hello, beautiful souls. How's everyone doing out there? Well, wherever you are and whatever you might be navigating as this recording finds you, I hope that you're feeling loved and supported by life in the midst of it all. And I hope that today's episode will speak to you because today we're talking about the relationship between destruction and creation. What some of you may know as a tower moment, which is a nod to the tarot, where the tower card symbolizes death, specifically how deaths or endings open a space in our lives for something new to come through. So when we talk about a tower moment, we're talking about the meaningful side of destruction, which may sound strange, but there is a meaningful side to destruction, even though it can be hard to find, given how upsetting loss is for us and how disorienting it can be when something falls apart. If we work with death or destruction as a conceptual idea, we can hold them with a bit of detachment as a paradox, as a coin with two sides. So the opposite of destruction becomes creation. And this means whenever we're going through destruction or loss in our lives, we are also experiencing the creation of a new phase of life presenting itself. A tragedy I witness on a regular basis in myself and in my clients too, is we forget the second half of our sentences. We put a period too soon. We say things like, my life is falling apart, period, end of sentence. But there's a second half to that sentence. My life is falling apart in order to make room for something new that's coming through. Or my life is falling apart because I'm a caterpillar turning to goo before I become a butterfly. Destruction and creation are interconnected. You can't only have one and not the other. This is not about gaslighting ourselves out of our true feelings. It's about holding space abundantly and intentionally for the parts of the picture we can't see yet. It's about having faith that there's more to our experience than we can fully perceive right now. And that just because we aren't seeing it yet or feeling it yet, doesn't mean it's not part of the broader unfolding that's underway. I saw a post about tower moments on social media that summed all of this up really beautifully. It said, right before we move to a new higher frequency, there is always a tower moment to remove everything and everyone whose vibration is not a match to where we are going. So if a lot is crumbling right now, trust that you are making space for more light to enter. Usually when a lot is crumbling, our minds focus on, oh no, oh God, everything is crumbling. What am I going to do? And we panic. 
the reframe of a tower moment is asking us to see the crumbling, not as a sign that things are horribly wrong, but as proof that space is being made for more light and more good stuff to come through. higher frequency means leaving the old one behind. And sometimes life starts burning up the bridge before we've finished crossing, before we've arrived safely at the other side. For whatever reason, big life changes are rarely a gentle linear process of, okay, I'm done here. I've learned all I need to learn. I'm ready to move on. And then we just hop from one lily pad to the next. It's soupier than that most of the time. The impetus for a big change is often connected to how intolerable our current reality has become. We've touched on this in other episodes, like when a chick is ready to come out of its shell, it starts suffocating. And the suffocation is a signal to the chick to peck its way out. The suffocation is not life trying to murder the chick. The suffocation is the mechanism through which life prods the chick to the next phase of its existence. It has to move out of its shell. Is it possible that something similar is happening in your life right now? Is there a way life is turning up the volume on your suffering in order to get you to change? Can you avoid the trap of relating to suffering as punishment, as proof that life doesn't love you? A lot of us fall into that trap. Would you be willing to see it the opposite way? Life loves you so much, it's taken great pains to motivate you through adversity to get you back on track, back in alignment with your true path, with the destiny you're here to actualize in this lifetime. Have you ever experienced back problems and gone to see a chiropractor? They don't gingerly massage you. They usually put the super hot hydroculator on the spot where it's hurting, and then they press and twist and crack you back into shape. It can actually feel kind of violent. But after the correction, we feel better because we're in alignment again. And that's the whole point. The point of destruction in our lives is how it supports creation in our lives, how it motivates us toward the next rung of the ladder. So these tower moments, these times of profound destruction when things are falling apart, usually one after another in compounding unbearable ways, these moments are actually more about creation. They're about something big that's coming in and sparking a collapse of the old life. The trick for us during times like these is can we hold the framework properly? Will we get caught up in the wake of how overwhelming that sense of loss can be? Or can we relate to the destruction as a signal that something bigger and better is coming through? an 
interesting moment last week. I was at the grocery store in the evening, and when I left the store and got back in my car, it was already dark. And as I was leaving the parking lot, I noticed a friend of mine who lives in the neighborhood was double parked near the side entrance to the store. I knew it was him because he has a vanity plate that I recognized. So I pulled up alongside his car and I lowered my passenger side window and I waved to him. But because it was dark and I had my hat on and we hadn't seen each other in a long time, he didn't immediately recognize me. I could tell by the look on his face that he was annoyed and defensive. Maybe he thought I was coming to scold him for parking illegally. I'm not sure. But once I said his name and he heard my voice and he put together who I was and that this was a friendly moment, not a hostile one, his entire face changed. And he smiled and he said, oh, Mary, hi, I didn't recognize you. How have you been? And then we chatted for a while and I drove home. But I kept thinking of how his face changed when he realized it was me. It was interesting to me because it was a micro example of something that happens to us all the time on a broader level. My friend's mind was telling him a story when my car first pulled up alongside his car. And the story was probably negative along the lines of, who is this? What do they want? I have to gear up for a nasty exchange. And then his story completely shifted in a split second to, oh, it's Mary. She's a friend of mine. I can relax. That's the power of a reframe. It's about how we can flip our perception based on our understanding, based on the story we're telling ourselves. This is also what A Course in Miracles calls the holy instant. It's that instant when we disarm, when we forgive, when we soften, when we lay our weapons down, when we recognize with humility and self-love, oh, I haven't been perceiving this properly. Or when we simply realize there's more than I can grasp here. So I don't need to leap to any finite conclusions or make assumptions that might limit or hurt me down the line. The holy instant is like that line in one of Mary Oliver's poems, leave some room in your heart for the unimaginable. Because in any given situation, there is always more than we can fully see or know. Leave some room. Make friends with the idea that we don't know everything there is to know concretely. When we get comfortable with not knowing, that's when real magic can bloom in our lives. The reframe I witnessed my friend go through in a holy instant in the parking lot of our neighborhood grocery store was a reminder for me of what we're talking about today, that we have the power to choose how we are going to relate to what comes up in our lives. Anytime we remember our capacity to choose how we're going to relate to our lives, we reconnect with our inner powerfulness and we just naturally instantly feel better. What people really want is to feel powerful. That's the wish underneath all other wishes. The wish for more money is really the wish to feel more powerful inside our lives. Even the wish to heal is the wish to feel more powerful over the difficult things that have happened. And one of the reasons loss is so difficult and these tower moments when everything is falling apart are so difficult is because we feel powerless in the face of circumstances like these. 
We feel small. We feel vulnerable. We feel out of control. So coming back into conscious contact with the idea of, wait a minute. Okay, the bridge is burning. This is life pushing me toward the next mountain. The destruction I'm experiencing has an opposite reality, which is creation. This sentence has a second half. There is more going on here than I can fully perceive. So let me withhold my judgment. Let me allow it to unfold more. Khalil Gibran wrote, Our anxiety does not come from thinking about the future, but from wanting to control it. I think this is a very valuable distinction. It's similar to the idea we just touched on regarding our capacity to choose how we want to relate to life versus feeling powerless, like life and loss are just these forces happening to us. There's something about those times when everything is going wrong or falling apart that can be extremely clarifying. When we say to life, okay, you have my full attention. What is it you're trying to tell me? Because when things are going wrong, we do tend to pay close attention. It's hard to take life for granted or remain on autopilot when things start to go sideways. We get pulled in. We start participating with our path in new ways because we're more actively invested in trying to right the ship. Like when you're driving and you see an accident, it sharpens you. It jolts you out of the trance. It reminds you of your own vulnerability. And this level of heightened awareness about ourselves, our lives, our path, our goals, our mortality, the delicate nature of our experience, this awareness is pure gold. So in the midst of things falling apart, can we hold an empowered framework and can we access the gold of a dialed in, sharply awake inner awareness? Because if we can, we will be able to leverage the hard time we're going through and transmute it into our growth. This is the kind of pressure that makes a diamond. One of my kids is learning to drive, and when we were out practicing the other day, I heard myself telling him that he needs to slow down before he can turn. And something in me said, exactly. This is wisdom all of us need to remember, not just on the road as we're driving, but on our path as we're navigating our lives. Life slows us down before turning us in a new direction. That slowing down can feel like loss. It can take the shape of a friendship ending and suddenly our calendar is a little empty. Or it can be losing a job or a partner breaking up with us or finding out something we've been hoping for or working on for a long time has been canceled. Anytime we shift from cruising along in our lives to, hey, wait a minute, what the heck is happening? This is not the life I recognize. The brakes are being pumped. And before we scramble to get back to cruising altitude, we could consider, am I experiencing a tower moment? 
Is something falling apart because something else is trying to come through? Is life trying to get my attention? Am I being slowed down so I can make a sharp turn in a totally new direction? Sometimes we pray for improvements and advancements and success in our lives without understanding what that really means. Do you want these big leaps forward if it means going through the short-term chaos of all your comforts and your stability being upended? This is why we need that room in our hearts for the unimaginable. And we need to be willing to trust life, regardless of what we've been through in the past, regardless of how hard it can feel to trust. Because when we trust life, we live with faith. When we trust life, that trust lends itself to a more generous and positive interpretation of the difficult times that all of us go through. Trust begets trust. And the thing is, you can always find plenty of justification to support a negative outlook. Your brain is designed to always find evidence for the theory you're trying to prove true. Going beyond your default mode forging a new way, choosing to trust even when it's not the rational or easy choice. This is harder work, but this is more meaningful and it pays in dividends. Try it out, especially if you're dealing with a tower moment in your life at the moment. What would it be like in the midst of everything going seemingly wrong or badly to just trust, to choose to see your catastrophe as life nudging you in a different direction, one that is most aligned with your soul and what your soul is here for. You know your time is the most valuable asset you have in this life. So I deeply appreciate your decision to spend some of it with me today. If you heard something that resonated or brought hope or a new perspective to your life in a meaningful way, please consider subscribing, reviewing, and sharing my podcast so it can find its way to more ears out there. If you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me anytime at marywelch.com. You can sign up there to join my mailing list and stay connected to all of my offerings, writings, and updates. Till next time, friends.